Love Talk Radio. <laughs> Partners in crime here with me tonight, of course. Uh, they're wonderful, Miss Lee Reed, Mama Bear of the Bunch. Then we got Taz Manny, Devil Taz Taylor, and we should have later on uh, the one and only Karaoke Craig, DJ Moore. Oh, man. Another trip. Another sad day. Another sad moment coming home. You know, it's about 50 to go where you realize, man, it's been a long weekend, but Talladega, the song by Eric Church, uh, just, you just want to stay. Like, you just want to stay there. It's, you don't want to go home. And uh, I've been going for 23 times. This is my 23rd trip to Talladega Super Speedway, and it's no change. You know, the, the moment you open your eyes on Sunday morning, you realize, like, you know, you were there for everything else, and now today is the grand finale, and uh, you know, it's an experience that, if you've never been to a NASCAR race, I'm pretty sure that very few people that would listen to this show have not been to a NASCAR race. It's it's more than a race. It is, hey, that's the slogan of Talladega. It's more than a race. It's Talladega, and they it's so much. To that, um, we just got word earlier today that 2008 was the last time that Talladega Super Speedway had seen this many folks. We got something good going on. 
I understand the dangerous element that has been created with super speedway racing. And it was very alarming to see a, a driver like Ryan Priest get knocked around, slammed around. I mean, the forces that you've seen within the cockpit were not something that you, you typically see in this day and age in NASCAR. And to see the door bar, Kyle Larson's car, visible, out hanging out the door, you know, I understand the element of danger behind this race. But if you, over the last week and month, uh, we've continued to hear, oh, we need to change this and we need to change that. And um, you have drivers who are saying, hey, this is, you know, somebody's going to get hurt out here and, I don't like this style of racing. If I could, if I could the race off, I would. <laughs> you know, that's oil and water for what the fans are there for. You can't get a lot of fans to Kentucky Speedway. You can't get a lot of fans to Chicagoland. You can't get a lot of fans to go to Texas. When you open the gates at Talladega, you open the gates at Daytona, fans flock in. If your name's Kyle Larson, or your name's Ron Newman, or your name's any of the guys that had something bad to say about this weekend's racing, you literally spit in the face of these fans. If you think this style of racing is too dangerous, if you are worried about the longevity of your career or anything to that nature, when you get into that car, I've been told to believe you probably don't belong in that car. You probably need to go find something else that's a little less dangerous. I promise you, boys and girls, if you went to that dirt track on Saturday night and you picked any one of them drivers, any one of them drivers, it didn't matter if they were racing stingers, street stocks, sprint cars, late models, fans, one of those drivers would have gladly stepped in that cup car or the ARCA car, or that Xfinity car, and drove the hell out of it. So when you are standing there as a driver, and you're putting down the sport that pays you millions of dollars, and you, I understand the safety aspects of it. You're literally tearing our hearts apart when you disgrace the track, when you say you don't want to be here. These fans flock to these races for a reason. And I hate to say it, a lot of it has to do with because you're willing to put your ass on the line. You're willing to put that show for these boys and girls. You're willing to go out there and hammer down till you see a flag that ends that race. That's why we go to the racetrack. If that's not in your blood, if that's not what you're there to do, you're there to draw a paycheck or, you know, smile for your sponsors, maybe maybe, maybe take up golf. Don't be in a race car. These guys, these boys and girls get in these race cars every weekend at the dirt track. You know what? Every year across the nation, we lose a driver. We lose a couple of drivers. Sprint cars, midgets, we lose drivers yearly. Other drivers, other classes, maybe not so dangerous, but there's still a freak accidents that happen. And every year we hear about them. There is a sense of danger in what we do. 
I don't really know how to close out this monologue because we got other shit to do. But I did want to speak from my heart as somebody who goes to these races. 23 times I've been to Talladega Super Speedway. And 23 times I've left with a humongous smile on my face. Maybe that's all I got to say. Ladies and gentlemen, the boys look like they had a lot of fun. Oh God, it was it was it was so awesome! Like this is the first year that we ever brought their friends, and we we predicted this like years ago that when we started bringing the kids and they were young, like one day you know we're gonna be sitting back and we're gonna be watching them enjoy what we've enjoyed, and this was the first year that we. We turned the lights off in the camper at 1 o'clock in the morning, and we watched our boys sit out with their friends in front of the campfire and, you know, get a little bit closer to becoming men. And uh, that that can't take that away from me either. So, um, Got a lot to talk you about know, here tonight. <clears throat> Not trying to I get was, all I was just going to say, uh, Chris, sentimental I, and emotional. I, I, I totally get the feeling of dread of having to leave the racetrack. You know, there's one, one nice thing I like about uh, doing the Xfinity and now the truck races at Mid-Ohio because that race is on a Saturday afternoon. And if you camp, you don't have to leave until Sunday morning. So you get to have that one last night after the race, to party with your friends, whatever, you know. And it's a drag having to leave the following morning, but at least you still get a little bit of camaraderie after the race, too. Yeah. I can't wait until the day that I wake up and they tell me that Talladega is going to become a night race. That would be so amazing. And then you would have a lot less drunk folks trying to leave, and I think that would, you know, just in it, just in itself, just just by that simple uh, fact right there, um, it would be enough for me to want to put lights around Talladega Super Speedway. But you know what? They're afraid of the monsters that live at night, and that's one hell of a party. So um, you know, and I tell you, when you go out there in those campgrounds and you're you're amongst those two hundred thousand people. Um, it is something very spiritual. It is, you know, it's just something. It's just something about that place. It's more than a race. It's Talladega, and uh, I wish you guys could would, uh, just put your money aside, ten dollars a week, and uh, come on down here and let us show you a good October and show you how we do it down here. That big track, and uh, we'll even we'll even. Uh, Show you a little yellow sticker on the back of you, so everybody knows you're a you're a Talladega rookie. But anyway, Kyle Busch proved that he wasn't a rookie, and Jeff Burton back in victory lane. Tad Taylor, are you are you even here, Tad? I have not heard you. I'm here, there, good old sir. All right, all right. Well, let me get back in my seat. You know, I stood up to to perform my. Uh, uh, my opening monologue. Um, you know, we got Xfinity to jump right into. Of course, I, I do want to say something about the ARCA race. Wow. It was a lot of wrecks. Um, typical of ARCA. But Xfinity, 
man, I, I just don't know if I was expecting that much carnage out of the Xfinity race. But, um, you know, Jeff Burton, man, a guy who has had his career uh, up and down, has never been with the same team for more than one season. Um, you know, uh, with with Jordan Anderson's team of all of all things, like this guy ten years ago uh, was showing up at the track with an open trailer, right, and a and a dually, <laughs> uh, racing a truck. Now now he's an owner of an Xfinity race team, and now they can hang a trophy in the shop because they are they are they are victorious um, at Talladega Super Speedway, but. Um, Chaz Taylor, um, maybe you've had a chance to to pull up some of that Xfinity news. Did you guys get a chance to watch the race? Is there anything that kind of stood out? Uh, mainly for me, I didn't really. I I don't know why I didn't watch the highlights. I didn't get to watch the highlights. But um, the main highlights I caught was basically the carnage that happened that you mentioned there, Chris. And a uh, good thing that these drivers are okay. Because, wow, those were some scary-looking wrecks, to say the least. Um, and I think, in if I've heard on the cup broadcast, right, about seven cars finished with, like, little to no damage out of that entire race. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was something to that, uh, to that extent. There, that, that, it, it was definitely... A long, wild ride. Um, I think the race actually was just as long as uh, the, the the 500 the following day. So, um, yeah, it was definitely uh, was definitely one that that, that we won't forget. Then Blaine Perkins, I think all, all of us held our breath after that ter- uh, horrific flip. Kind of reminds yeah, me of. Kidding. Uh, of the Rusty Wallace flip back years ago. You know, there is no grass anymore down there, but uh, he just got turned in the right in the right area and went up over the car, similar to what we've seen Ryan Newman do uh, a few years ago. Uh, Miss Lee, you, you must you must have seen what I'm what I'm speaking about. Um, no, I don't remember that. Uh, the flip by Dolly's car. Are you talking about uh, this flip in comparison to, like, the Ryan Newman flip at Daytona? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Ryan. Yeah, it, it looked eerily similar to Rusty Wallace as he barrel rolled down, but, but the initial flip kind of was like the car. Oh, okay, going, I know what you're talking about. You know, yeah, 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 going over another car uh, before barrel rolling down the, uh, down the backstretch. I think they showed it on the uh, put it out segment before the cup race. The Rusty Wallace thing you were talking about. Right, right, right. Yeah, he was transported uh, to the hospital, uh, but he was released later on. He is okay. I guess the biggest news of the weekend is Morgan Wallen went to Talladega and showed his ass, got off freaking drunk, and could not perform at his uh, planned concert on Sunday. Uh, oh, in Oxford, that Mississippi. One. Yes, yes. He he had quite a good time, such a good time at Talladega that he lost his voice and become ill, and was not he, able to perform yeah, his concert. They were saying, yeah, they were saying on the radio. I heard this Monday morning. Um, him and Hardy had were at a concert. I guess Hardy was opening up for Morgan Wallen, and they had 
they and I guess they were out partying or whatever. And then the night, then the day after that, Morgan Wallen had like no voice, I guess. And I guess they still played the concert up until Morgan Wallen's part. And when they got to his part, I guess the screens kind of changed and gave their like public address message saying, unfortunately, Morgan Wallen has no voice, so he will not be able to perform. Refunds will be uh, handed out at the point of purchase. Uh, but, yeah, it was a big deal. And I guess, um, I don't know if it's a new, I didn't read the actual article, but I just saw a headline of it. I don't know if it's real or not. Um, that I guess Morgan Wallen being sued uh, for having this instead of, you know, canceling before, <laughs> canceling everybody beforehand. Um just to save everybody the time and uh, and whatnot. Yeah, I seen yeah, something yeah. that said now under a doctor's care, supposedly. Yeah, Morgan has obviously got a drinking problem. I may need to get uh, some professional help for that. But I'm no doctor, and I'm not trying to give out doctor advice. Uh, maybe we need to read a disclaimer. <laughs> Okay, so let's look at the uh, – well, I clicked in the driver points. Let's go back to – oh, my goodness. Let's go back to – You want to do Xfinity results there, Chris, while we got a few minutes? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got them pulled up if you do, too. Yeah, I do. So we got All Justin right. Allgaier winning stage one. Stage two went to Jeb Burton. And then your top ten in the race was Jeb Burton, Sheldon Creed, Parker Kligerman, Cole Custer, Brennan Poole, Cesar Bascarella, or Cesar Baccarella, Parker Retzlav, Ray Golding, Joey Geist, and Josh Williams. Notables outside of there, Ow. Brett Moffitt, 12th, Brandon Jones, 14th, Brian Truex, 17th, Austin Hill, 18th, uh, Daniel Hemrick, 21st, Ryan C, 22nd, Riley Herbst, 23rd, Casgrella, 24th, Chandler Smith, 25th, Derek Krause, 27th, Allgaier, 28th, Sam Mayer, 29th, Josh Berry, 30th, John Hunter Nemechek, the Xfinity points leader, 32nd, Sammy Smith, 33rd, and that's pretty much it for the notables. But I do want to point out one thing, because, Chris, you mentioned ARCA, and um, I'm going to make a little bit of a joke here. The ARCA Menard Series points leader, well, we all know him from Malcolm in the Middle, but he ain't in the middle of this one because he's the points leader for the Arkham Menard series, Frankie Muniz. <laughs> yeah. What a fun. Wow. Malcolm in the lead instead of in the middle. Right? Malcolm in the lead. Holy hell. That's that's hilarious. So let's go back real quick and look at that top ten. We've seen some interesting names there, Taz Taylor. Uh, Cesar Baccarella, of course, Parker Ratliff. Um, this kid was not just a beneficiary of all the other cars wrecking out, okay? Parker drove a hell of a race and um, obviously teammate uh, to Jeb Burton. I believe Parker did get sideways or wrecked at one point in time uh, in the race, but he was able to recover and uh, just drove right back to the front, Um you, you know, he's a rookie. We're going to have to keep our eye on him. Also, Greg Galling, you know, Greg come up at the same time as Kyle Larson and Bubba Wallace, man. And and he's always been a heck of a kid. I actually got to meet him uh, at the Talladega Garage Experience on Friday. And he took his time and signed a lot of autographs and 
just a really a cool kid. I call him the best dressed man in NASCAR because the guy really knows how to dress, man. I'm telling you, he is he is top notch when it comes to uh, to, to uh, how to present himself in the public without the driver suit. Uh, but also with the driver suit on, he's just as friendly and talkative as anybody. Josh Williams come over and actually talked to us for a minute as well and signed a bunch of autographs. Uh, yes, he is just as hilarious in person and off the cheek as what he is uh, with the microphone in front of his face. So uh, he definitely kept the crowd laughing and uh, just a cool guy. Joey Gase, a guy that's been around kind of funding his own stuff, uh, does uh, a lot of a lot of uh, charity work uh, that's not really talked about much. Um, but, uh, you know, just really cool to see some of these names uh, finish up in the top slots. Of course, Parker Kligerman in the Big Machine. Uh, uh, big Machine spiked uh, Chevrolet uh, with a third-place finish. Um, and Brennan Poole uh, in the Six Machine, the uh, Magdor Chevrolet. So uh, that's uh, – I believe they had – Ten caution flags for 48 laps. Um, lead changes were 28 among 12 drivers. Parker Ratcliffe, Anthony Alfredo, Daniel Hemrick, Sheldon Creed, Chandler Smith, uh, Justin Alger, Daniel Hemrick, Jeb Burton, Brett Moffitt, Ryan Sieg, who had a really good chance to win the race, and Ryan Truick all were um, leaders of this race at some point in time uh, throughout the uh, throughout the race event. But, um, you know, <laughs> it was – the total race length was 121 laps. They went 21 miles over the original scheduled 300-mile uh, event. So I think it was like three, three overtimes before they finally got it done. Um, any any noteworthy or anything to talk about uh, on the Xfinity Series side? I mean, it's, you know, it's still well, one of the most exciting series, I think, in cup racing. I mean, in NASCAR racing. One thing I want to I point think... out is Jeff Burton. Uh, I did not mention his name for stage one because um, usually I name the stage winners. But for Jeb Burton, yes, he won stage two. Yes, he won the race. And did he rightfully earn that? Heck yeah, he did. You know why? Because he finished fourth in stage one. The guy was up front in the entire race. So the guy that won the race rightfully deserved it. And I know uh, people are saying that this could be his his golden ticket to the playoffs and he'll be out of first round. But, hey, we might need to watch him in super speedway races because uh, it, like, uh, it seems like if he could put uh, the race he he did at Talladega into Daytona, and I believe they go back again to Talladega, the Xfinity Series does. Uh, Jeb Burton could be one to watch, especially when it comes playoff time. And I think Jordan Anderson uh, knows a little bit about super speedway racing. I do know that his father-in-law is none other than Larry McNugget. Um, I don't know if there's any correlation between being really good at restrictor or super speedway racing and Larry Mack being the father-in-law. I, I don't really know, but, uh, you know, uh, Jordan Anderson's always been fast at this style racetrack. So it's no surprise that they've built some fast-ass race cars 
And uh, really, I mean, this is what Jeb needed. I'm a big Jeb Burton fan. I've always been a Burton fan. As a matter of fact, I was willing to shave the 21 in my head. If Harrison Burton could have finished in the top three, y'all, he was leading the damn race. He was leading the damn race. And then he finished third six. <laughs> oh, poor kid. Poor kid. The Burton family. I mean, you know, obviously uh, Ward and Jeff uh, paves the way kind of for these kids, but uh, you still want to see them uh, be successful. As we transition over to the Cup Series side, I think most of you guys that are here tonight, y'all watched the Cup race, correct? Yep. Sure did. Right. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what you guys think. But I've seen a heck of a race, and I've seen strategies. I've seen three wides. I've seen uh, I've seen guys who are uh, pushing a little too hard. Uh, the whole deal with uh, no um, Noah Gregson, yeah, Noah Gregson and Ross Chastain. Um, most of what I heard from everybody this week was that was just racing. Uh, when they tried to pin it on Ross Chastain. He had a lot of people take up for him. I, I wasn't quick to take up for Ross. I felt like that was kind of a dumbass move. Um, and, you know, he ruined his day and uh, and, and Noah Gregson's day. So, I mean, it didn't really, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I've taken up for Ross a lot, but at that, at that point in time, uh, I guess I see it different than everybody else there. I think everybody else just likes Ross Chastain so much that now they're kind of tired of calling him out for his crazy-ass moves. I mean, hey, you know, you put yourself in the situation, I, maybe you do the same move. I'm not I, sure, uh, but I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, I think I think I saw the same thing you did, Chris, because I thought he put his nose in where it didn't really belong. I think he could have waited another I guess they waited like at least another corner when they at least got into like turn three or waited for a better opportunity to really take that move. But that was, that was a bit of a stretch, at least from what I saw. I think it was man versus equipment, Taz, as you said. I think that he looked at the guy who was in front of him and said, this guy doesn't have a chance to win this race. I've got to take it now. And that's Ross Chastain's mental fortitude. That's what he is. That's who he is. He does what it takes to win. He's willing to make that move. He's willing to wreck that race car, and that's exactly what he did. He wrecked a race car, and he wrecked half the field. So um, nobody really wanted to pin it on Ross. I agree. When it's super speedway racing, I think these guys have learned to just chalk it up to super speedway racing uh, because just about anything can happen, including turning the leader on the last lap to win a race. So, um, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to turn somebody into the wall, uh, at a, a, a dangerous speed of 190 miles an hour, but Hey, Austin Dillon did it and he won a race for him. So, um, if you go back to the Eric Amarola, Eric, what he won the Daytona 499 and a half that year. <laughs> oh Lord. We've got a little bit of talk about RCR later on too. Kyle Busch, the number eight car. Back in victory lane at Talladega. The fans did not know what to do, y'all. First, they roared like hell when Bubba Wallace got wrecked. 
they started throwing beer cans and stuff onto the speedway. I, it was the most ridiculous thing I ever seen. I got really mad about it and called some people some racing pigs. And uh, you just you just wouldn't believe it. I mean, I was just like, man, this is ridiculous. And then you throw in stuff onto the racetrack. That is even more ridiculous. Um, and, and then, you know, Kyle Larson got wrecked. And, of course, everybody, ooh, and, uh, you know, stuck their heads in there. And then when Kyle Busch won the race, it was like some fans just didn't know how to react to it. And, I mean, I see it as that number eight car got back to victory lane at Talladega Super Speedway. Holy heck, Kyle Busch, who's been known to be a hell of a restrictor plate, or super speedway racer himself. Sorry, they did, they did a lot of restrictor plate racing talking this weekend. I just, yeah, I've been over the fact of restrictor plate racing and been calling it super speedway racing, but unfortunately, uh, bad habits are once again hard to break. Um, so, this, you know, the, uh, Kyle Busch, a talented super speedway racer, uh, was that the right? place i mean you know uh, i think jeb burton was at the right time in the right place even though you know he has stage wins to to prove otherwise um that is what talladega super speedway uh racing is uh it is a crop shoot um thoughts anything that stood out uh was kind of a snooze fest maybe for y'all i want to know from the from the home seat what that race was like because in the grandstands we had a completely different view I'll be honest, I didn't pay, I half paid attention to most of the race. It probably wasn't till the last 20 laps or so that I really, I put down the book I was reading and, you know, really, really paid attention. For and what stood out? What stood out with what you just said? Because we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit. What stood out was what you said. Was that an anticipated, or was you were you waiting on the action? You were you were silently waiting on the action. Like, explain to me what what that means when you say that you were you you were involved in a book. You were you were you were self meditating as as we led up to the, the finale of this event. Yeah, and and I know where you're going with this, and 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 I have voice my opinion on this on previous shows, but yeah, I knew it was going to be a long race. So, you know, I sat back and I had the TV on and I had the volume on and I would glance up from time to time and, you know, but I knew that the most exciting racing was going to come It was in the last 20 laps. I've been a race fan long enough. We'll get back to that salt right there, Taz. Um, What stood out for me was a lot of the, if you look at the uh, pool picks we have, uh, we had this week, basically I want to say about, if not all of them, maybe 90% of them, 90 to 95% of the picks that were made um, are strong super speedway racers. And if you look in the first two stages, and this is what I found interesting was because of the pit strategy in this deal. But going back to the first two stages, um, 
your strong super speedway racers um, weren't necessarily running in the front by the end of the stages. And it could have, and I believe that is where pit strategy kind of came into play. Um, I know uh, they mentioned Brad Keselowski. Um, obviously, we know he's a strong super speedway racer, and he loves Talladega. I mean, you can't knock uh, six wins at that track for nothing for him. But um, he he sat back, and I, we all know he sat back for Chris Busher because I believe he had, like, a speeding penalty or something like that on pit road or – Something happened on pit road. I don't remember what the case was. And so Brad sat back to help his teammate, uh, which is fine. And in a sense, too, um, I get he was helping a Ford, helping a teammate. But at the same time, it didn't look like a true Brad Keselowski. But when you really sit back and think about it, of how many super speedway wins uh, he has, you sit there and think, well, he may have played the bold strategy because Brad Keselowski, and I'm sure there's a number of other drivers too, like Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, uh, just to name a couple more too. Uh, they played the, they showed up to Talladega playing chess instead of playing checkers. And I believe that's where some of these drivers that may have wrecked out kind of took the unfortunate of, they played the short term instead of the long term. Um, like I said, we go back to the results here. Um, stage one, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, Ross Chastain, those are top three. Um, Noah Gregson was up there, Joey Logano, Ryan Priest, Daniel Suarez. Then you go back to stage two, Eric Almarola, Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick, Bubba Wallace. Harrison Burton, a name you would never think of, is, was up there. Martin Truex Jr., a, a non-super speedway racer. Uh, Hamlin, Stenhouse. I mean, some of these guys think short-term. But when you look at the long-term game, who prevailed? Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, uh, Brad Keselowski with a top-five finish, Eric Jones, um, and of course, some of your backmarker drivers, which is expected. Yeah, William Byron was up there in the top ten. But it was like these guys, some of these guys that I named off are not super speedway racers, and I feel like they played the short-term game because of stage points, which, granted, it's okay that you want to grab, uh, especially at super speedways. But at the same time, you got to play it out with some like some of these guys I named at the very end for the race who played the long-term game. They weren't up there in the top 10 for the stage for the stages. Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, and Brad Keselowski, the top three of our NASCAR picks. They did not finish in the top 10 of the stages. They sat, they sat and chilled out in the middle of the pack towards the back. And they played where – they played the game of chess instead of checkers, and they wanted the bigger prize versus uh, the extra bonus points that could have propelled them. So I feel and like it worked. Uh, and I feel like pit strategy really played a factor, especially late in the in the first two stages. 
Well, it is obvious. The two main contenders right now in the championship, I believe, we buy and Christopher Bell, they both with seventh and eighth place finishes. Larson would have had a, group, a pretty good finish had he not got wrecked out. Um, if it was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. Um, notable Todd Gillian in a 10th spot. He was in the number 36 car because, remember, he got uh, ejected from his ride uh, for Zane Smith, finished, ultimately finished 37th in that ride. Um, a little bit of yin and yang here. Kyle Busch finished first. Austin Dillon finished last. Um, that is Talladega, right? Um, the ups and the downs. Um, other notables, of course, uh, Denny Hamlin had a great podcast this week. Uh, well, we've got something to talk about there. Harvick uh, ran pretty well. Was not able to show anything for it. Bubba Wallace, a great race, led a lot of the race. Uh, Ty Gibbs. Uh, Ty Gibbs is learning, man. Like, I've been hearing some pretty, uh, you know, I've been a big Ty Gibbs criti- uh, criticizer, but I've been hearing uh, that the kid's, uh, he's, he's, he's gathering a notebook and he's learning. Big, big deal for Brett Keselowski and the RFK team. Uh, both of their drivers got top ten finishes. Uh, actually, top five finishes. So that is huge uh, for RFK Racing. And Kyle Busch, And I'm going to you – know, and Chris, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but um, huh? you mentioned Ty Gibbs. If you remember last week, I mentioned with Ty Gibbs um, – <clears throat> I mentioned with Ty Gibbs, I think he's starting to find his rhythm because, Chris, you asked, where are the Toyotas? Well, they've been there, but there's been two two of them that are kind of slacking, but one of them is a rookie, and I think he's starting to find his groove, and I, think, I believe it's starting to show. And if he can put together that groove a little bit better, I think we could see him uh, competing for top tens and top fives easily week in, week out. Maybe wins. I think wins could be a stretch, but who knows. But yeah. I can definitely um, see the Toyota's coming alive. But Brad and Busher, uh, those are two names that sat around um, around the 25th to 30th place uh, running for 90% of that race, and they finished with top five, as you mentioned. But Way to go, RFK. As Ms. Lee said, we got to get, get a little bit of a move yeah, right. but, Yeah, eight for 34 laps, eight cautions for 34 laps. Um, 57 lead changes among 21 drivers, and you wonder why they fill up the, the grandstand at Talladega Super Speedway. I mean, it's a no-brainer, guys. It's a no-brainer. So let's get off into the hot topics. But first, we have a stat of the day, right? Yes, we do, Chris, and I'm going to read it off, and you'll be amazed. I don't know if you read it uh, or not, but this is one heck of a stat. So write, down, write, write this down if you got pen and paper handy. So... The last time the number eight car won at Talladega was all the way back in October 3rd, 2004, which adds up to 18 years, six months, and 20 mm-hmm. days. And the driver of the eight car then, and the driver of the eight car then was Dale Jr. And prior to that. Last time the eight car won at Talladega, Dale Jr. had won four races before that one. And those four Talladega races just so happened to be right in a row, which was fall 2001, yep. fall 2002, and the spring 2003 race. 
It was a, a hell of a run. That's how it became Junior Nation. Was, the Sea of Red is what they would call it there back in the good day. All right. Hot topics are open. First, before we do that, real quick, give off the ratings. I, I was expecting the ratings on this one, so it's really cool to hear. Um, let's give a ratings update real quick. Um, for rating, a 2.58 rating and a 4.554 million viewers for Sunday's race at Talladega. Almost flat from a reported 2.61 rating and 4.682 million viewers last year. NASCAR says there was a Nielsen revision that changed the 2022 viewership to 4.3. Uh, by that number, NASCAR was up Sunday. Adam Stern reported this. Okay. Um, so, yep, uh, stats are up for the viewership. <laughs> is it Talladega or was it Chase Elliott? We'll never know. Um, all right. So, first hot topic of the night, carnage at Talladega. Are we going too far? I mean, we had guys slip. We've had guys, you know, hit the inside barrier. Um airlifted out of the speedway. Uh, this track ruined Eric McClure's career. Uh, it has almost taken the life of Stanley Smith, Bobby Allison. Uh, of course, who can forget Carl uh, Edwards being in the fence? Um, Ryan Newman at Daytona. Spectacular crash. We've seen this weekend with Ryan uh, Ryan Priest and Kyle Larson. It's really it's really a hot topic. I know this falls right into our opening monologue. I spoke then. I think it's I think it's y'all's turn to speak. I want to hear what you guys have to say. I I continue to praise NASCAR and their safety innovations. I was I was intrigued by something that Ryan Priest talked about and how um after reviewing the tape what were the things that he could do himself inside the cockpit to make himself safer where whether it's about um tightening up his belts or placing his belts differently um, you know, more padding here or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's super speedway racing or restrictor plate racing as we know it. Um, you know, it, racing is inherently dangerous, period. We know that. We understand that. The drivers should know that and understand that. Most of them do. Um I don't I don't know what else we can do other than analyze each of these accidents and see what changes could be made whether it's to the cars to the safety equipment because that that roll bar uh failure on Larson's car freaked me out um, but you know what as long as we keep learning Hopefully, we keep promoting the safety and 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 advancing changes. But 
again, it goes back to inherently racing is a dangerous occupation. And the good thing you mentioned that, because Chris sent us a little clip from Norbumper Clear uh, earlier today. And I will say this. I may not listen to full podcasts um, from Dirty Mole Media and stuff, but I do pay attention to their YouTube channel. And um, sometimes I'll catch clips of different people's podcasts, whether it's Norbumper Clear, uh, Denny Hamlet's podcast, or the Dale Jr. Download. There's an interesting title catcher, I guess you could say, that makes me want to view that small little clip. I'll, I'll view it, but unfortunately I didn't catch Storm Bumper Clear, which thank you, Chris, uh, for catching that part. And they mentioned that um, in sports there's always going to be – we all know there's – we're all taking a risk of some sort of danger in sports, right? And we got to give credit where credit is due in sports or motorsports whatever it may be, that of the safety aspect and the long ways that we have come over the years. Um, unfortunately, when there are upgrades to the safety aspects, um, there's always these tough situation that happens, whether we've lost a, we lost a person or a major um, or a major health concern happens. Um, like obviously 2001, we lost Dale Earnhardt. How did we improve on that? We looked into the problem and we introduced the safety concern and that was there. Um, we go back to, um, one of Ryan Newman's, uh, horrible flips. Uh, yes, he survived. Um, but we, but we learned something from there, and they added what they call now a Ryan Newman bar. Um, and then when Newman flipped at Daytona and had that horrible accident that uh, sent him to the hospital and sent, and put him out for a few weeks, um, we learned something. The then Newman too. bar saved his life. The Newman yeah. bar saved his life. And so we sit here and think of, of course, NASCAR is going to sit here, and they both and they took um, both Larson and Priest's cars uh, to the R and D center. Obviously, they're going to assess the wreck itself. They're going to assess the cars in terms of what failed, what worked, um, how can we improve, and and um, we all know as athletes too. Um, as Miss Lee mentioned with Ryan Priest, what can he do better? Of course, athletes are going to sit here and think, what can they do better to help themselves? Um, it's just a matter of everyone's just going to learn. And unfortunately, it has to take a a hard a hard hit and hitting lesson um, or a hard hitting situation, as I should word it better, um, to make us wake up and kind of say, all right, how this happened? This is how bad it was. What can we do to improve on it? And it's just we all, like like I said to start. We all know we all love the sport or the motorsports we sign up for, but we also know that when we do these sports or motorsports, that there is a risk of danger of some sort. 
And, I mean, look at – I'm going to use what Dorval Clear said. Look at the NFL. I'm sure they were getting concussions left and right because of the helmets. What they do, they improve the helmets. Um, I'm sure with the the Mar Hamlin incident, they're gonna. I'm sure they looked at where do they hit them, where's the chest pads, you know, um, how much help they do, and um, you know, it it just comes down to unfortunately tough situations that happen that makes us wake up and say, all right. What worked? What didn't work? How can we improve what didn't work? Unfortunately, Taz, they've labeled this car from the beginning unsafe. And we've had a couple of injuries that have uh, transpired in, in, since the inception of this car. But I'm not willing yeah, to say the, that this car is the unsafe. I'm, I, I'm willing I, to say that this car needed work to become safer and you're always going to have that with any new design we, we went from a, a basically a two chassis car uh to a to a three link where you're basically you have a middle section you have a front clip and a rear clip and those are that's how this car is built so you don't have uh, you're going to put all you're going to put a lot of force in the middle of that car because that's where everything bolts up to um, it's it's not a free folding car like it used to be, and so there, it, this car is bulky. Um, it's heavy, but it's heavier than the other car, not in weight, but on how it's built, right? Force, and I think that as time goes on, NASCAR will get this figured out. Um, we didn't have any drivers suffer any severe injuries at Talladega. We've yet to have in this car a driver get hurt at Talladega or Daytona, but that's where all the emphasis seems to be that somebody's going to get hurt here. And, and you know, that's that somebody could get hurt at any racetrack anywhere. That's, that's just unfortunately part of the gig as, as is in football. We watch with our own eyes, a player grab his chest and fall onto the ground after a simple tackle. We didn't really know what was going on. And to this day, I'm not sure we still know what happened. You, know, you have people who argue. and you know, but, but we it took that many football games before something like that happened. And that's because it's, the game in itself is safe. The car is safe. They're not, we're not getting drivers killed every week. Um, but... Does it not mean that we can continue to improve the safety of the car? For sure. That is for sure. Um, do people show up to the stands and, and, and to the infield at Talladega and Daytona because of the sense of danger? Of course they do. That's why these races are so important. Um, Talladega and Carnage go together like a hand in a glove. It is what it is. But if you take Daytona and Talladega off the schedule of NASCAR, <laughs> NASCAR wouldn't last three years, y'all. They wouldn't last three years. Turn turn, turn one of these super speedway races into a road course. You, you, you would have a boycott from the fans. I don't know. Maybe some would disagree. They did, they did take the, uh, the 
the first race of the season, which was the Bush Clash, known as the Bush Clash, and they took it and put it on a road course. And now they go to some arena in, in L.A. in downtown L.A. to do the race. So I mean, I, I guess I guess NASCAR's already showed, hey, we can do what we want to do. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the Daytona 500, NASCAR was built on the fact that that track was built, right? I mean, we talk about moving from our grassroots. What more? What 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 is more grassroots than Daytona International Speedway? I'll leave that with you guys, please, uh, Miss Lee. Uh, you take away the Daytona 500, and you will have a revolt on your hands. I could see the world's Amen. biggest riot going down. Amen. So quit bitching, drivers. Quit your bitching. Drive a freaking race car. Say your prayers before you get in it. Dale Earnhardt didn't go home in 2001. But fortunate enough, we have not lost a driver in a race car. Take John Hunter Nemechek. John uh, uh, John Nemechek has been the only driver since uh, that, that that has been killed in a race car. Of course, you know Jerry Nadeau, very close. I mean, he you know he was severely injured, um, ruined his career. Ernie Irvin, uh, his career come to a quick stop after a, a, another uh, ter- horrific wreck, I believe, at Michigan. Not Michigan. Um, I forget where they, where it was. Uh, but you know, I mean, it happens, and there are career-ending wrecks, and we've we've seen it before. I, I, you know, Michael Annette, Eric McClure, um, several drivers that have gone. Uh, uh, what was that? Oh goodness gracious! I hate it when I can't remember something on the on the radio show. Uh, uh, Fontaine, Chris Fontaine. He was a hell of a speedway racer, um, and just you know, he just got hurt too many times and had to step out. Uh, Brendan Gone, uh, man, a perfect example of a guy who who loves restricted plate racing or super speedway racing. Um, most of the time, that's the only races he races, but he's retired now. So, um, but uh, it's an art and a craft. Anything else for the Talladega Carnage? Going once, going twice. I'm good. Bull. All right. All right, so NASCAR Network. Somebody brought it to the attention, of course, the WWE Network, the Golf Channel, uh, uh, NFL Sunday Ticket. All these things were mentioned, and somebody wanted to know, what about NASCAR Network? I'm not too fond of this idea. I don't like the idea of having to pay for uh, racing. I already do kind of pay for racing with my Sirius XM uh, and uh, – I guess my ad-free Spotify or something. I don't know. Um, so I, I feel like we already pay for the sport. If I'm having to pay for the sport out of pocket, I'm probably less likely to be a loyalist to the sponsorships that, uh, that are on these race cars. I try to buy my products that are labeled on race cars. I feel like that's my duty and do my uh, uh, duty to uh, help keep the uh, relationship between the fan, the sponsor, and the driver alive. I do use products that is better NASCAR sponsored. So um um I pay NASCAR enough. network I'm not sure. I pay enough for my streaming services. I'm not paying for an extra NASCAR network. NASCAR tried it once and it was a flop. Yeah, what's your what's your thoughts on NASCAR creating a network? I can understand 
in today's day and age, if they were to do go that route, I wouldn't be surprised. But I kind of feel like that they are heading in that direction slowly with the Pinty series, um, the Wheel and Modified Tour, the Arca series, all being streamed through Flow Racing. Um, I like Lee said it. They had it at one point through DirecTV, and it wasn't really a giant hit. But I think the it wasn't a giant hit at that time because that the main like main network systems weren't the big hit at that time. I don't think they were anyways. Um, maybe today's day and age they they might be that way. Um, but I think NASCAR really needs to dissect if they were to really incorporate a network. They really need to dissect into um, numbers of viewerships. Um, the, the fans and, will not stand for it. The fans already bitch about quarters of the swear jar, sorry, about how many races are on cable networks mm-hmm. and yeah. obscure cable networks. Mm-hmm. Now, if they were to take and put every single race on their own network, people might spring for that. But not yeah, if you're going to have it on their network and a few races on, on regular TV and a few races on obscure cable networks, no. So they got a sugar get off the pot, another quarter, sorry. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what model is going to work for them? And it's either you go all in or you scrap it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't what? think there's any in between. That That's what exactly of- where I was thinking. It's because they would have to go all in with it. Um you can't be like with DirecTV in the sense of where, um, yeah, you have the race on on the main broadcast, but if you sign up for the net for the network, you can watch like twelve different cars going around the track at once, and it kind of took away from the main broadcast. But I feel like if NASCAR had their own network, um, you would have to go all in with it, which means all of your races need to be broadcast through it. Um, Race replays, we need to go off of YouTube and go to um, that network, essentially. Um, And they would have to do it for not only the Cup Series, but they would have to do it for Xfinity, Trucks, um, and, of course, ARCA, uh, the Wheel and Modified Tour, um, Pinty's. I guess you can might you might as well throw in the Euro and Mexico series in there too because they're part of NASCAR. Right. And that's where I could see it being a positive because that would expose those series, Pinties and Euro, you know, wheel and mods, et cetera, to to a wider audience. So I I, I could see that being a plus.
Yeah, I would like to see telemetry. If I was having to pay four ninety nine, or if I chose to pay five ninety dollars $1,220 a year for a subscription to NASCAR, these are the things that I would require to be able to see. All data that the crew chiefs and teams are able to, to, to look at, telemetry, all from the radio communications to the in-car cameras. I would want complete control. Second, I would want to make sure that Sirius XM uh, NASCAR Radio was now a partnership of this network, and you could uh, be able to access that type of material there. I would want to all access behind the scenes to pre-race everything from car garage, uh, uh, interviews to uh, unlimited amounts of coverage from practice, just basically the entire weekend, 24-7. Uh, eight hours of replay, ten hours of live events uh, coming Pre out of this race of... inspections. I'm talking to nine yards. If it's going on at the facility, I want to be able to know about it. That is the only way you sell me on that type of that type of thing because I can already get. And look, you don't take it off the network. You don't you don't take it away from Fox. You don't take it away from ESPN, who's not in it right now. You don't take it away from uh, uh, the NBC. You allow it to stay there. I'm buying the extra. I am paying for the extra stuff. And that extra stuff is already there. And when I buy the stuff like the telemetry and all that other things, um, that, that in itself will fund the broadcast to be able to be expanded into a lot more different things, from garage cam to, to uh, post and pre-race. Uh, yeah, but you're, uh, Chris, your average, your average fan, we're rabid fans, okay? So we want all that extra stuff. And maybe we could find a way to pay for it. But <laughs> access to the races is what's important. And like I said, you're all in or you're all out. You're either going to have it on the national networks on free TV for fans to watch, or you're going to have it all on your own network. Was Talladega on free TV? Was it on, or was it on Fox Sports 1? No, the it was on the main Fox. The Cap Cup race was on Fox. The Xfinity race awesome. was on FS1. That sucks. I don't know how they can choose which one is better for which network. That that doesn't make any well, sense. Well, and, and you know what? And and you want to talk about this? Look at NBC. When the Olympics were on, where the heck did NASCAR go? It got stuck on CNBC, uh, USA. Uh, you know how many other networks that most fans. I won't say most fans, a lot of fans don't have access to. You know, so what does that, what does that do for your morale as a fan? I want to watch the race, but I don't have that network. I'm paying for things right now that I don't necessarily, can't necessarily afford just so I can watch all the races. That is the issue. You know, yeah, you've got champagne fans that can afford to pay for all of that stuff. 
but your average fan can't afford it. So tell me who you're trying to appeal to as you're trying to build your fan base and you're still going to try to make it exclusive. Yeah. Um, so Greg said that he was uh, trying to get into the studio and I look over and uh, I don't see, I don't see him in the studio. I know he's uh, listening to the show here. So, uh, uh, at me, bro. At me. <laughs> I'm not always in the uh, in the group thread. Uh, I, I'm, I'm running uh, running other things while we are doing the discussion here. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I'm with. And, and Craig said that uh, he's with what I say. If he wants, if he's going to pay for something, he wants all access, including hearings and appeals, panel hearing. Uh, look, I, I'm down for that. I, I know NASCAR owns a lot of these podcasts. Uh, there was a certain situation where Corey LaJoy admitted on his podcast this week uh, that uh, that he uh, wrecked somebody intentionally and wound up wrecking himself or whatever, but NASCAR did not penalize him. And so Denny Hamlin sitting there with his hands up and there wondering how in the hell uh, Corey LaJoy can admit on a podcast that's owned by NASCAR uh, that he wrecked somebody on purpose and not get penalized, but yet Denny Hamlin, who is a dirty move uh, client, uh, does get penalized for it. So um, that's definitely uh, a question worth asking. And if, if you know, at what point in time does NASCAR dirty mo racing, dirty mo network? Wow, uh, you can't describe anything in the media of NASCAR anymore without going through what some somehow something that Dirty Mo Media is putting out. Uh, go Dale Jr., man. You really, uh, you have played the friend and the rival of NASCAR, and uh, and I, you just keep doing what you're doing, big guy. I know I was very critical of him at first when he stepped out of the vehicle uh, because I was like, hey, man, I'm a fan of his, and now he's retired, and I'm still lost because I don't have a driver, but yet I'm seeing this guy in the news every day, and he's always at the track, and it's like I just don't ever have time to really retire you. But over the years, and the Dirty Mo Media has turned into something, you know, beyond Dale Jr. Uh, he's the craft. He's the main craft behind it. Uh, but uh, definitely, um, I think I would rather describe. I would rather subscribe to Dirty Mo uh, than I would NASCAR. And if you believe in that, give me a hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. All right. Hell yeah. All right. Still no Craig Moore. So um, if you were listening. Uh, you would uh, you would know that you were invited to call back in and uh, join the group. Uh, maybe somebody can tell them on Facebook. But uh, so let's go to the next topic, and I think that this one's a pretty good topic as well. Um, we're running kind of short on time. Star power problem. It has been brought to the attention that we may have lost a lot of stars too fast. The superstars of the sport, and when I'm talking superstars, I'm talking about the world-famous stars. The stars like Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., uh, Jimmy Johnson. Um, that star power is not uh, where it used to be. And you have the Candyman who's no longer in the Candyman car. So is NASCAR suffering a certain star power problem? And is there a quick fix to this? Obviously, we there's a conspiracy that Chase Elliott was out and ratings fell in NASCAR. He's back. 
and now all of a sudden ratings are up. I don't know. But uh, is there a certain star power problem in NASCAR? I'll start with you, Tess Taylor. Oh, yeah. And it's funny you mentioned this because your favorite podcast, Chris, Star Bumper Clear, covered this problem. Uh, I saw the clip on uh, – I saw the clip of them talking about it on on the Dirty Mole Media YouTube uh, page. There's there's definitely a superstar uh, – Lack a lack of superstar power in NASCAR. I mean, you look at, and that could come down to personality. But we all try to figure out of how is Chief Elliott this big old superstar when, I mean, the guy. No offense to Chase Elliott fans, but the guy's just kind of bland. I mean, Kyle yeah. Busch is more personality, and. Chase is not his father. No, by any stretch of means. I mean, you you go back into you go back into um, the 2000s and early 2010s. You had guys to name off like um, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, Ryan Newman, uh, Tony Stewart. Jeff Gordon. These guys have personalities. I mean, they had their own personalities that shine and stuck mm-hmm. out. And now you're in this age of where you have you have guys with, that have the names, but it's like, where's their star power? What makes them them? And not to mention, none of them can throw a punch. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so you sit here and think of um, the lack of superstars. I think this lack, the superstar power is lack of personality in these drivers, and the last of those drivers that have personalities are starting to fade away. Kevin Harvick, um, after this year, will be in the Fox Fox broadcast booth. There's a, there's a personality we lost there. Kyle Busch in a few years. We're going to lose him. We've already lost Kurt Busch in that sense. Um, Tony Stewart, we lost, NASCAR lost him pretty much to the Fox booth. Where Clint Boyer was another personality. Clint Boyer was another personality. We're losing personalities left and right. And we're replacing them with Kyle Larson. And who definitely does not like the media. Obviously, he has proven that over the last year for sure. And William William Byron, who gives us the most bland damn post-race interviews in the world. Like, I mean, the guy really (laughs) – I mean, I I like Willie B, but uh, he has no personality at all. Snowflakes. The guy who everybody should be a fan of, the most, the winningest driver in NASCAR, um, still able to get it done. The villain of the sport, and yet is he a world? If he if you were to drop him off, you know, on in any country, would they know who he is? Because that's what a superstar Maybe. is. Maybe. Because he's been the villain for so long. 
but there's there I don't see any villains so much in this new crop of drivers except maybe maybe Chastain. I was just gonna say, I think Chastain's the most person got the most personality of the real current drivers of Right. What, what, what's coming through now? Does a personality lead to villain? Does a personality get you vilified in the sport? Well, I believe it you does know what? In, a way. in this in this day and age, yeah. But I would, you know, we, I don't I know. Person, I would say personality doesn't <laughs> always have to lead to being a villain. I just feel like personality just leads to more superstar power. I mean, shoot, I don't think Jeff Gordon was really a villain per se, but he had a personality and wasn't and ended up being a superstar, or at least had the star power. Hey, if you were a Dale Earnhardt fan, you hated Jeff Gordon. He was the villain. But you, but you have but you have to you have to love somebody enough to hate their rival. You know? Right. And I personally I personally don't quote unquote love any driver in the field right now enough to hate their rival. Right. Okay, I'm I'm a I am a Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson fan. I'm not like hooked on like big fans of them as I was a Jimmy Johnson fan. And I know Jimmy Johnson not much for personality there, but um but with Larson and Bowman like, there's nothing there. They don't really have rivals. So it's not like I can sit here and say, oh, I hate these drivers because they're rivals of these guys. You know? it's Like, I hated Kyle Busch just for the, the, the cocky villain that he was. But I haven't I older, been. As I, got I haven't older, been. as I got older, I sit here and I'm like, you know, I, I hate it. I hate him, but at the same, but as I've gotten older, it's like I don't really hate him. Like he's a personality. Like I, he's not my favorite driver, but like he's got personality. Like we need more of that, and we don't have it. Hamlin's kind of the same way too. I haven't been a NASCAR fan as long as y'all think I have. I chose Joey Logano as my driver. His rookie year because that was my first year as a true NASCAR fan. Really? And I've always been a Joey supporter, but when Kyle Larson came in, I was like all in, because I watched Kyle Larson move up through the series. And now I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm a Kyle Larson fan so much anymore. He's so freaking wishy-washy. I supported him 
when he went through all his crap. And now anymore, it's like, you know what? I don't like him personally. Right. So I'm back on the Joey train big time because because I've watched Joey mature as a driver and as a person. Larson's even and as a promoter. I mean, look at, I saw his uh, interview after his first uh, point thing uh, sprint car race that he was promoter for. And the interviewer was sitting there talking um, through flow racing, and the interviewer was sitting there talking to him, asking him questions of certain incidents or um, certain rules of his series that happened and how drivers reacted to it. And he was like, yeah, there was this, but, like, these drivers said this, but also, you know, these drivers said that. So we have to sit here and kind of look at both sides. And I'm like, dude, you're the promoter of a series. Come on. Push for that personality. Tell us us the reason to to follow your series. Um, You know, I feel like maybe we're seeing why Kyle Larson got in the situation that he got put in. Um, and it's just bad judgment. Um, not understanding his surroundings, uh, not understanding what he needs to be other than just a race car driver. Um, I was a big proponent on getting Kyle Larson into a, a championship caliber car. Like, I begged for him to be at Stuart Hobbs. Um, but some people just don't know how to handle the, the stardom. Some people don't know. And, and maybe he feels the media crossed him, and so he doesn't open back up to the media like he did before. But I really, I don't know if the kid ever really had a personality. I know he was a hell of a race car driver, but once he's dipped into this uh, stardom side of his career, he's really been a turnoff for me, really. I mean, everything from saying that uh, he wasn't going to be in the Chili Bowl because they didn't pay enough uh, to jumping in Al Gears modified, uh, what, last week or so, and and right. putting a wax in on the field. I mean, what's the difference in a chili bowl and a, and a modified paying a thousand dollars to win? So, um, you know, it's it's been hypocritical from the start for him. And and in contrast, look at Joey. Joey was kind of quiet his first year, but he got into some major spats later. You know, the one with. Kevin Harvick is is obviously mm-hmm. the the biggest, but you know he's finally learned to stand up for himself. And they were after Joey in the beginning. Exactly, exactly. The old name sliced bread come at a price. Didn't yep. he get into it with Kenseth at one point? The old nickname. Yeah, heck yeah. Joey's had to fight it out, man. And, and 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 but but take him as an example and look at how he has matured, and he's still a scrapper on the racetrack, but he's not so hot tempered. He's not getting into fights and stuff anymore, and I think he does a very good job in the broadcast booth as well. So he's grooming himself a path. But, yeah, you know, all the silver spoon accusations that were thrown at him, he took it, and he's 
run with it, and he's grown and matured, and I'm I'm actually very proud of him. I know people think I'm out of line for this. Joey Logano is the modern-day Davey Allison. He is great behind the camera. He'll smile and give you all the right shots that you want. But the moment he gets in that race car, it's all business. Same way Davey Allison was. Amen. All right. Let's get to this last topic real quick because we're running a tad bit behind. Okay. Phew. That's 10 minutes fast. We're actually right on time. No, we are running a little bit behind. Sorry. Okay. Um, oh, I remember now. Are late costumes the key to entertainment and NASCAR? Ms. Lee brought up a very interesting point. We've already talked about this, so this subject should go on fairly quickly. Uh, but it's, it is worth talking about. We find that a lot of the race has been snooze fest. Some people blame it on stage races. Some even blame it on this. Some even blame it on that. But is it necessarily an issue uh, that the race becomes more exciting with 20 laps to go? Isn't a ball game more exciting in the seventh and eighth, maybe the ninth inning, than it is in the first inning? Isn't a football game, a close football game of rivals? Isn't it better in the fourth quarter than it is in the third, the second, and the first? This isn't too far off the rails from other sports, but it's worth covering. Let's leave. I know you're fighting at the bit to get onto this one. Our late exactly. the key to entertainment. Yeah, no, we we've we have talked about this on prior shows. And take my example talking about my watching Talladega. I was reading. I was watching the race, but I was reading at the same time because I knew that I could keep the race in the corner of my eye and catch anything serious that happened, you know, whether it be lead changes, wrecks, whatever. But I knew that the most important racing was the last 20 laps. Well, so do most of your NASCAR fans know that. So, you know, are they watching the entire race or are they turning in just just for the last 20 laps? So how... I think it's... I think... Go ahead. I think when, when you have a four-and-a-half-hour race or four-hour race, I, I don't expect anybody to sit there glued to the TV and watching it all. That's the greatest thing about NASCAR is you can put it on TV and you can go about your business and never miss a beat. And it's kind of the same way with any sport. Sure, you, you have your true fanatics in certain races or certain ball games where you're going to sit there and you're going to watch the whole thing. But for the most part, 90% of the season goes by and you are literally doing something else while the ball game was on. Whether you were cooking, right. whether you were cleaning, whether you were playing with the kids. Whatever it may be, you might have stuck the TV out on the front porch and so-called watched the race while you were grilling burgers. But you were grilling burgers. You weren't really watching the race until need be. It's the same way uh, as a kid watching baseball. Me and my papa would sit there and talk and talk until until the, the announcer would say, 
And there it is, a line drive to left field. And all of a sudden, whatever we were talking about, it was no more. Our eyes were glued on the television. Okay. And, and, And I can't disagree with that. But what does any sport, I'm not just going to put this on NASCAR, what does any sport need to do to generate more interest in their production from beginning to end? And as NASCAR is trying to draw in new fans and and, and a new fan base, what does NASCAR do to keep them interested through the entire race? Because we know the old fan base is going to watch the whole thing. What how does NASCAR keep a new fan base interested all the way through the race rather than just turning in to the last 20 laps? That's interesting. That is, a, that is an interesting question. And the only – you have to make each individual race as important as the next one. And in order to do that, I think we've zoned in on one championship or a, um, a real season champion, end of the, uh, a season champion, and then a chase champion. Well, I've floated around this idea for years. Why don't we have – we go to seven road courses. Why don't we have a road course champion? Why don't we have a road course standing? Oh, my God, Why don't we Chris. have a short track standing? Why don't we have I'm, why don't we have super speedway standing? We need a champion. I knew exactly where you were going with that because I'm gonna throw in a series that does not get talked about often that you, at least they used to do this. Uh the main Arca series, they used to have um a short track challenge where yeah, they had a uh a season long champion uh, to crown, but because they mostly raced at short track, they did a short track challenge um, championship. So basically, guys um, who weren't running the full ARCA series because they couldn't the qualify for the they couldn't qualify for the the super speedways. That's where that came from. Yeah, there were kids that couldn't qualify for the super speedway races. Yes. When they would follow the NASCAR circuit, which was Daytona and Talladega. Remember, there is not an age restriction in ARCA. ARCA was not was only recently purchased by NASCAR. NASCAR instituted a rule that you had to be 18 years of age back a long time ago because of a certain kid called Kyle Bush, who basically was and then had that ride stripped out from underneath him because NASCAR did not want anybody under the age of 18 in the, in the NASCAR series. So, um, and, and it, and it basically said Kyle Busch would have come in as a rookie, probably a year after his brother, 
had everything gone as what they wanted to. But Kyle also lied about his age through most of his most of his career, and uh, was actually further off from Kurt's age than what uh, than what they said. Of course, you don't show up to a racetrack showing your birth certificate, so it was really easy to lie. But eventually, everybody found out Kyle Busch was only 16 years old, and that's when NASCAR came in and said, oh, no, VW, no, 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 no. And ARCA never adopted that rule. Um, so you can be as young as what you can buy a car from, I believe, in ARCA series. Now, they are owned by NASCAR, so there may be more restrictions. But great point, Miss Lee. There was a time where ARCA drivers were not allowed. Certain ARCA drivers were not uh, ready for super speedway racing, and they were not granted – uh, that that uh, that race. So um, definitely, uh, I wanted to say there. And of course, Denny Hamlin, the million dollar, uh, the million dollar idea. It's not far fetched from that. Uh, you know, a mid season tournament is what he was speaking about, um, and a bracket style racing where they're competing amongst each other. Um, all these things are are what would keep the fans interested. And also, you know, the federal government, let's, let's open the gates on the gambling stuff. States need to open it up because if all of us had access to gambling uh, or at least what, you know, you can watch, I mean, even if you don't gamble on being able to look at the stats from FanDuel and stuff, I mean, it's just, that's just more uh, content that a viewer can, can be a part of. And, you know, um, I think that, that is, is, is very important to the future of NASCAR racing. Um, anything else really like, on that? I like the fact, and I don't like Denny Hamlin. I'm going to preface with that. But I like the fact that rather than sitting back and complaining like everybody else, Denny is thinking outside the box about ideas of what NASCAR can do. So I give him credit for that. That said, Chris, you're talking about gambling and you're looking at, you know, government regulation, getting into the sport and all that, and you know, that's a topic for another day, but I like the fact that Denny is at least presenting ideas, whereas all the other drivers are sitting back and complaining. Hey, I like hey, man, and I'm I not, like I've him. never been a Denny Hamlin fan either, but no, he's, I like his podcast. What, what's that? I like, I like his thinking of this because I'm going to throw this in. I wonder if he pays attention to... Uh, Nitro Rallycross, and I mentioned that because Nitro Rallycross, their qualifying format, their 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 qualifying format um, is battle brackets. So essentially, uh, you run say a five minute practice, and your fastest lap is basically your seed. So the fastest, so the fastest in practice is your number one seed, and your slowest guy in practice is your lowest seed basically, and they go by bracket format. And, of course, whoever wins the bracket challenge is the top qualifier. And, of course, you get bonus points. Uh, you get one point for each uh, battle win you get. 
And, I think, and what Dan, Denny's doing is basically saying you're adding drama, you're adding points into this because you're taking top 32, um, equal playing field because it's one-on-one, and you can have upsets, you have storylines, uh, you can have heated rivalries, and that could lead into that superstar powers. Denny's got this battle bracket deal that can boom big time, and not in terms of storylines, but maybe build the rivalry, build the superstar power that we're missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, amen. Amen. I'd give him a we checker flag for that one since that was a black flag checker flag topic. Yeah, yep. And that's something that we're rolling right into. We're just a few minutes behind. We'll have to uh, catch up here in black flag checker flag as we try to scroll through this and get to the Tasmanian Dover hot picks. All right, NASCAR changes results hours after race. Uh, not really sure, like, uh, why it took so long to make these changes if something was presented later on to NASCAR. But uh, they talk about race manipulation. Um, is this not kind of the kettle calling the pot black? Black, yeah, black, I don't know why they had to do that. That that was, I mean, I know that cars were in carnage and all over the place, but still, to go and change things, it. If I'm not mistaken, it didn't radically affect point standings or anything. But I mean, come on. I want the original finishing now, and I want to see if at the end of this chase somebody doesn't miss it by one point, and it's because of this race. Like, that's how important yeah. these points are. NASCAR, you My cannot thing. be changing this later on. Taz Taylor, what's your opinion? My Check thing your is, flag or black flag? I see it as a black flag, and my thing is, why do we have live uh, electronic timing and scoring if we're going to review the tapes uh, later on for it. I mean, shoot, you look at dirt track, when the yellow gets thrown out, they go back to the last completed lap because that's the last uh, live timing and scoring update they got. NASCAR is like live timing and scoring like every like little middle millisecond you got. So why is it that they have a finish by the end of the broadcast and then hours later, oh, because of this, like, didn't you have live timing and scoring to begin with anyways? So why they claim are we going that the, backwards? They claim that the field is frozen at the time of the caution. But that is not the truth because that's not the whole rule. You have to maintain race speed to the start-finish line on the last lap. If you don't, then you will lose credit of your position. So you have to maintain caution speed to the checkered flag. So technically, we are under caution racing back to the checkered flag. Under caution speed, not full speed. If you do it full speed, I have a feeling that there's going to be penalty. But that's where it all gets confusing because you originally said, that the field is frozen and the field's not frozen. 
if you have to continue rolling to the checker flag in order to receive that position that was frozen at the time of the caution, then technically it ain't frozen. Correct? Who's confused? Raise your hand. I can't see y'all, but I hope your hands are raised. I just, I just, I, I get what NASCAR is trying to go for. Like as soon as the yellow is thrown out, you know, basically field is frozen at that point. But again, if we have live timing and scoring for a legit reason, why is it taking us hours to figure out what the real finish is? I mean, dirt track racing, we go. Like I mentioned, dirt track racing, we have live timing and scoring for a reason. When a yellow gets thrown out, we go back to the last completed lap, wherever the order was at that time. That's the order you're going to restart in. Why can we not figure that out? Yeah. Why does the NASCAR run those same rules? We've talked about this before. We would, The only way we have a yellow and a checker together is if we are letting the guy coming to the checker flag know that there is a caution on the speedway. So literally, that that yellow flag, if that yellow flag comes out in turn two, we're re-racking them and stacking them. Maybe single file, but we're still re-racking them. Okay? But if, if that caution, if that car spins out at the, at the flag stand or in turn one, um, and, and the leaders have already made it around to three and four, then we're going to set out the caution flag with the checkered flag. That way it's the end of the race. We're letting we're letting the driver know that there's that he needs to watch out for something as he's in his cool down lap. So I, I don't really know. Any other time you revert back and you finish your lap because we only we go back to the last completed lap. And so I, I don't know if car has to make up rules as they go, but th- there you go. There is no real true consistency in how they make those types of calls. And I think that that's fine. It's probably considered entertainment instead of an actual. Uh, um, sporting event. Denny Hamlin's million dollar idea. Black flag, checkered flag. One. Yeah, we did. So I, I think we give a checkered flag, right? I think all of us give a checkered flag to Denny Hamlin's million dollar idea. Anything that can keep the fan engaged is cool. Number three, SRX announces broadcast booth. Cass Taylor, I know you want to say who these guys are, and I am ready, man. I think one of them's name is DW. Yeah, so SRX announced their broadcast team this year. And let me tell you, this is the biggest checker flag I've seen on their broadcast team. And they're now going in season three that they've had in season history. Uh, Their lead broadcaster, their play-by-play guy is Alan Bestwick. So he turns for another year, year three. Lead pit reporter, again returning for year three, Matt Yoakum, A plus on those two. Now, they're dri- three driver analysts. They're split up into different races. Um, A-plus for all three because there's not one in there that I think would make me turn off the channel or make me take a nap. Uh, those will, with that being said, Joey Logano at Stafford, Berlin, and Eldora, he'll be the driver analyst with Alan Bestwick. At Thunder Road, it will be D.W. Darrell Waltrip. And for Motor Mile and Lucas Oil, we'll see Connor Daly come back uh, for SRX. And like I said, I think SRX really nailed the broadcast team this year. They, I mean, 
we I know we talked about it earlier of the value of DW versus past broadcasters that the SRX has had. Now, DW has value in his own right. Does he know these SRX cars? He might. He may not. Will he get behind the wheel of one to get a better view of the broadcast? I don't entirely know if he will, but honestly, he brings more value than Danica Patrick and Willie T. Ribs combined that the SRX has had the last no. couple of years. Yeah, you know who I'm going to miss? No doubt. They, they, need, they need to add Hinch to this. I agree with you. I, uh, I yeah, love Hinch as a commentator. Double double checker flags going to the SRX announcement uh, for the broadcast booth. AI takes the top of the pit box, number four. This has been verified. As a matter of fact, Austin Dillon won the race at Charlotte because of this program. It has been it's uh, it's been in use for several years now, uh, but it's gotten a lot more popular. Miss Lee, I think you know a little bit more about it. Can you give us a quick rundown of what this means? Well, I don't know a whole lot more about this. I had a Twitter <laughs> friend who presented the race scenario to chat GPT for Kyle Bush winning the race. And it ended up predicting exactly what Kyle Bush did, was staying out and not stopping for gas. And I I presented that to the group, and I told y'all it was a fan that did that. But she was the one that brought up the fact that RCR had admitted at one point to using AI to help their decision, and that was the Austin Dillon thing. So, this is the big Andy Petrie thing right here, right? We knew that Andy Petrie brought something to RCR because RCR was in the freaking dump before Andy Petrie got promoted to race until he got brought over to be race director of competition. And obviously, Petrie had studied this program or was willing to take a chance on it. And the two have worked itself out great. Because RCR is headed back in the right direction. They had three wins last year. Um, of course, they got better caliber drivers. Tyler Reddick, of course, Kyle Busch. Austin Dillon is Austin Dillon, right? I mean, he's, he's going to luck in and win him a few, especially if RCR provides great equipment. But he's not the superstar caliber of a driver like Tyler Reddick and Kyle Busch. Are we surprised that AI is being integrated into NASCAR? I'm not surprised at all. I welcome it. I mean, I give it a checker flag. Um, I can see where some people might give it a black flag, though, because if everybody's running AI and everybody's getting the same conclusion, then obviously we'll we'll have something else to complain about. So I do see the negative, but I, right now I give it a checker flag. I know a certain crew chief or a former crew chief and car owner thought outside the box and brought something to the table here, and uh, it's worked really well for RCR, and it's helped get things turned around. Taz, what's your comments on it? Check your flag by flag. I'm going to yeah. give it a – I guess I'll say a checker flag for right now. 
I feel like the true negatives might come out if more teams use it. I'm calling black flag. You cannot disregard the human element. I mean, that's that's said well in itself. You cannot disregard the human element. Um, because it's, it, okay, they made a movie about that, right? The Hudson, the guy from, uh, what's his name? The Hudson River guy, right? Like, this, the, eight, the simulation over and over and over again, they could not complete the maneuver that uh, Sully that Sully did, right? Y'all ever seen the movie? Absolutely. The movie about the, yeah, yeah. So they tried and tried and tried to simulate it, and they couldn't get it done. And it come down to the human element. He was able to do it because he's human and because he he was able to pull it off. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I guess, similar to uh, Cole Trickle when he took it to the outside on those cheated up tires that uh, his crew chief told him he had. Who knows? It was just – it was meant to be. Um, all right. Is RCR bidding for championship number Seven. We all wondered if it would, how long it would take to get Kyle Busch in victory lane. He's now losing to victory lane twice, and we're not even midway through the season. Is RCR bidding for their seventh championship? That's a question. I know it's a black flag, checker flag, but is it a legitimate question? That's, that's, that is the question. Is this a legitimate question? Is RCR capable of winning a championship. If they put everything they have behind Kyle Bush, then yes. Is Pop Pop willing to sacrifice his grandsons to put everything he has behind Kyle? Then absolutely. And are his grandsons going to regret pushing Pop Pop to take Kyle Bush? No. As as a future, <clears throat> Austin Dillon is the future of RCR. That was the first time that Austin Dillon showed that he was capable of running that company in the future. Because he was willing to set himself aside for the betterment of the company. And that is what a boss does. That's what that's what future leaders do. He's a future leader of that company, and I believe that. And that move right there was a, a boss of a move as you can make because you had to put your dignity and your pride aside. You had to say, hey, this could be the future of our company. I am in the number three car, but that guy wins races. We need that I- guy in our shop, Pop Pop. I but, did Austin, but did Austin give that race to Kyle on orders from Pop-Up? Oh, no, I don't know. That's a good question. You're talking about the previous win, right? Right. Yeah, um, I don't know. 
I don't think so. I think if it had come down to it, I would want to beat the guy who I thought was better than me uh, from the door. Uh, if Patrick Swayze walked in the door, I know I'm only a second best looking Patrick Swayze. He's the first best looking. So if my wife loves me because I look like Patrick Swayze, then she's probably going to love Patrick Swayze a little bit more than me, right? So oh, I think on, if Chris. given the chance, if given the chance to compete against that, I would definitely uh, want to show him up and want to know that I am the better man, right? I am the better looking Patrick Swayze here. Um, and I feel like maybe that's the same thing Austin Dillon would do, given the right opportunity he, to race Kyle like that. He might be her one-off, but you're her number one. Come on. <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. All right. Well, let's get into we're two minutes behind schedule, four minutes behind schedule, sorry. Um, not bad because we started off kind of slow. Let's get into the Tasmanian Dover hot picks, guys. Uh, Taz, Taylor, you take it off from here, man. Let's get it. All right. So, hot picks for the Monster Mile of Dover. Um, I have listed off Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and Martin Truex Jr. as the favorite. Denny Hamlin, Alex Bowman, Joey Logano as contenders. A.J. Allmendinger, Chris Busher, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr., as underdogs, of course, we need to put in uh, two to three more names for each category. And with that being said, the panel is open for names. So whatever names you throw out and whatever category you feel like putting in there, spill the beans. Okay. Where do we... Put Chastain. Chris is feeling Byron as a favorite, Ross as a contender. Um, William Byron at Dover. I'm trying to pull up his stats right here. William Byron. In eight starts at Dover, has no wins, but has two top fives and three top tens, has led 28 laps with an average finish of 14.0. Yee, not a very good stat. So I could knock him down as a contender at this point, mm-hmm. I would feel like. As for two Ross. hottest race cards drivers in NASCAR. I feel like Ross yeah, Chastain, we could put in the contender part, uh, being at Dover, has the same eight starts as William Byron, only has one top five and one top ten finish, and is, but he has led more laps, which is 86, but his average finish at that track is a 25.3. So I personally I could see William Byron go nothing lower than a contender if we don't put him as a favorite and I could definitely see Shaftine as a contender at this point. Yeah, 
All right, we'll put a vote in a contender. We're still looking for a favorite because there is a name uh, that is missing on here, and I believe his name is Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell. Uh, all right, Christopher Bell at Dover. Four starts, zero wins, one top five, one top ten. Has not led a lap at Dover, but has an average finish of 18.5, which is closely <laughs> relatively behind the contender. I have listed Alex Bowman, who has one win, five top fives, and top, five top tens, with an average finish of 17.8. All right, two elephants in the room. You got it. Both looking at retiring, Harvick and Truex. We've got Truex as a favorite. Who's the defending winner? I could see Harvick as – I can – I can see Harvick as a favorite. Same amount of wins as Martin Truex Jr. He may have 10 more starts than, as, than Truex. But he does have 10 top 5 and 23 top 10s and 42 starts. Has led 1,666 laps and had an average finish of 12.9. So I could see him as a favorite here. Where do we put Mi Amigo? I don't know because I don't, I'm not too I'm not too big on him at this racetrack. Right. Um, I Suarez actually we can put him as a contender or an underdog, what? and here's why. I'm going to throw in Brad Keselowski because that's not a name we have not mentioned yet. Keselowski has. One win, five top fives, ten top tens, and 24 starts. Has led 403 laps with an average finish of 13.1. Daniel Suarez, ten starts, one top five, five top tens, 22 laps led, average finish 13.3. Wow. Not bad. So... If we don't put him as a contender, I definitely want him as an underdog. And another underdog I want to throw in there is Ty Gibbs. Hmm. You know, Gibbs has been interesting. Now that he's in premium equipment and has obviously matured, he is a serious contender for the season. I, you know, I, I had my doubts about him, but I really think he's proving himself. One favorite I want to throw in, and I'm surprised we haven't mentioned his name, is last this past weekend's winner, Kyle Busch. He's got three wins at Dover. His average David looks forward to it, of... too. Kyle Busch has yeah, an average finish it. of 14.0. has led over 1,000 laps. 
uh, 21 top 10s and 34 starts. I don't see why we couldn't put him as a favorite in there. At the end of the uh, at the end of the race, the post race interview, Kyle Busch stated the fact that they had circled Dover on their calendar. Uh, so that that that's a really good one there. Um, you know, we hear this a lot. I guess certain race teams feel like their their strong points are certain races, and we've seen SHR circle the calendar in New Hampshire several times. They've got something figured out there. I believe RCR has something figured out here at uh, Dover, and that's why this one is circled. So Kyle Busch. Uh, I would definitely vote to be a favorite here um, at uh, at Dover. I agree because you can never rule out Kyle Bush. All right, what about Tyler Reddick, guys, and Eric Amarola? Those two names are just they're they're there, and Eric Amarola does really well at these style racetracks. Um, uh, he's he's uh, been in contention to win several different times, um, but also Tyler Reddick. Like we're waiting on Tyler Reddick to break out. Of course, you know he won uh, a couple weeks ago and got him that win with twenty three eleven. But he's not necessarily broke out yet. He's not you know been uh, one to talk about so much. Um, so definitely Tyler Reddick. And Eric Amarola are ones that I am interested to watch this weekend to find out where they land. But uh, definitely interesting to find out where you would place those two drivers on your chart. Three minutes. Um, Amarola, underdog, Reddick, maybe a contender. I think I'd put them both underdogs. Almarola's shown more strength at longer tracks. I guess Chris, you're the deciding factor. What's their what's the A's uh stats? I think you'll be surprised. Uh double A battery, nineteen starts. Two top fives, four top tens, with an average finish of 17.1, leading 86 laps. Reddick, on the other hand, four starts, only one top ten, uh, has not led a lap, but has a average finish of 17.3. And, and what was that, Marola's? That's pretty good. Amarola's stats, isn't he? Amarola was two top five, four top ten, and 19 starts. Has led 86 laps oh. and 17.1 average finish, which is relatively close to Reddick. Who is the favorites? What is what have Vegas said about the favorites here? Can we go to Vegas and look at those odds? They they come out Vegas Insiders and so that's where we and we only got a few seconds here, so. Uh, Let's see that real quick. Yeah, there. <laughs> Have we got it close to finishing up? I mean, we pretty much got a good list here. Okay. Yeah, all right. The betting odds are not out yet, so. 
That's unfortunate. I don't know what happened. They were they used to come out on Tuesday. Now I think it's basically Wednesday. Uh, Kyle Larson is still the favorite to win the championship. Chase Elliott, William Byron, and Kyle Busch, your top four for the championship. Isn't that crazy? Chase Elliott's missed six races and still a favorite to win a championship. So, um, all right. Well, that's the list. And we'll if we need to improvise or anything like that, we'll have to do that later on. Taz Taylor, let's go ahead and close out this baby man. It's been a great show. All right, well, thank you, everyone, for listening along to Race Chat Live here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, You can always catch us on any forms of podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, RSS Feed, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, GeoSavings, Podcasts Addict, Deezer, Podchaser, YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel and go to our website, the 110 Nation Sports Radio Network.com. Um, thanks to our sponsors, Phoenix Fitness, Bear Bowl, Market Talk Group, Carolina Sports Plus, uh, Morta Music, Yellow Caution Flag Productions. And, of course, we'll see you the same bat time, same bat place next Tuesday night here on Blog Talk Radio. And with that being said, we'll have emails open for picks tomorrow morning into Thursday night. So get those picks in for Dover. And and this has been the caution flag of racing radio, Chris Creighton, the DJ music man, Craig Moore, the mother bear of the 110 Nation, Miss Lee Reed on the Tasmanian Devil Flaggers. Taz Taylor saying goodnight. We'll see you all next week. Good night. Good night, everybody. Talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.